Good morning, Valley. I hope you're having a great start to your Sunday this morning. I'm excited to be able to join you as you study through the Psalms this summer. And at our church here in Plow, we're also going through the Psalms. So this is a great way uh, for us to connect with you. Um, I'm joining you from Palau, a tiny island in the Pacific, as you can see behind me, with the beautiful scenery. Um, I couldn't find a place inside, so I thought I'd just make you all jealous by showing some palm trees. But I do miss the mountains a lot, so you have that one on me. Uh, but one of the, the most fun things that we enjoy here in Palau is the ocean. I, I'm looking out behind the camera right here, and I can see the ocean. And I, we love going out on the ocean in boats, but one thing, it's always a, a big deal to get ready to go out. You gotta pack everything, make sure you have what you need because once you're out on the water, you can't run back and get something really quick. And I rem remember when my parents came to visit, now they've been here twice now, that my mom was always very, very concerned that we would have enough water when we're out in a boat. She didn't want to be left out in the beating sun far away from land and have no water and be thirsty. So she would bring like five extra bottles of water just to make sure. And usually we would never even drink them, but we had them just in case. But I'm sure all of us can think back to a time when we were really thirsty, when we were longing after just a sip or a drink of, of cold water. And during that time, things like Coke or or tea or even coffee don't really sound that great. We just want water. We, we long after water. We're desiring after water. We're thirsting after water. And thirst is a great metaphor for desire in our lives. And we see that as we look at Psalm. Uh, this morning we're going to look at Psalm 63. But the reality is that we're all thirsty in this life and not just after water physically, but after satisfaction, finding meaning in our lives, finding uh, hope in our lives. All of us are thirsty, but the difference is from person to person is where we find that satisfaction, where we look to have that thirst met. And this is what we're going to be focusing on this morning as we look at Psalm 63. The question is, where are we turning? Where do we turn to when things get difficult? You know, in Psalm 63, we see David. And David, he's not in his palace. He's not even in the temple in there in Jerusalem. He's not even on the battlefield fighting the enemies of God like we so often see him uh, as the warrior king. Here in Psalm 63, we find David in the desert. He's running. He's being pursued by an enemy that's trying to kill him. And this enemy is his own son, Absalom. And during this time, it must have been one of the darkest times in David's life. His own son, who he was looking to, to, to take over his kingdom, who he, he wanted to turn things over to, was now trying to pursue him and kill him and, and take power from him. And David's running. He's in the desert. He, he's feeling rejected by, by his people, by his own son. And at times we can see in the Psalms by God himself. You know, during this difficult time, David could have run to a lot of different things. He could have been depressed or, or angry or frustrated or, or run to these different distractions that, that were around him. But here we see him not choose any of those things. Rather, we see how David responded by turning to God, by looking to God. And that's what we're going to look at as we study Psalm 63 this morning. 
You know, our longing or thirst for satisfaction in this world can only be fulfilled by God and his steadfast love for us, which should lead us to praise and to rejoice as we rest in him. Verse 1 starts out saying, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Here at the beginning of the psalm, we, we see David crying out to God, and it's interesting what he calls God here. He says, God, my God. This is what he begins with. This, he makes it personal. He makes this statement for a reason. He's showing that, that God is his God. Oh, God, my God. And he's not saying that he possesses God in any way, but he's saying that this is the one God that I worship. And I know this is so important as we begin the study of the psalm, as we look in at our own lives, that this is where we must come as David did. You know, a lot of times people in this world view God as a distant deity that's kind of distinguishing between right and wrong and punishing people for, for doing wrong. And he's far away watching over things, but he doesn't really care about my own life. A lot of the world thinks of God if they believe in him in that way. But as David did, and we see in this first verse, crying out, my God, this is a personal relationship. You see, Christianity or, or the, the following after Jesus is not, you hear maybe before, it's not a religion. It's what? A relationship with God. And David shows this as he cries out to God. See, this is the, the starting point. We can't go beyond and, and grow in a relationship with God if we don't start one in the first place, if we don't get to know God personally and have that relationship like David did. See, here he was crying out to his heavenly father, not to some distant ruler, but to his heavenly father. Then we come to this idea of, of thirsting. And David uses this example that we talked about at the beginning of, of thirsting or longing after something. You know, like any personal relationship that you have, the more that you're around the person, the deeper that relationship grows, the more you want to be around them. Usually if things are going right, you think about, I think about my wife, Heather. You know, the, we're coming up on nine years of marriage and, and the more that we are together, the more we long to be around each other. But this isn't just a, for, for David as he looks to God and cries out to him. It's not just a, a comfort. David wants to be around God. Oh, so that, that's where I feel most comfortable. no. We see that it's a, a desperate need for God. The verse there says that my, my soul, it talks about my soul and my whole body. You know, we, we know that our bodies need water, right? But the question is, do our souls need God? It's all, our whole being, all of us, our body and soul, crying out, thirsting, longing for God. You know, many people have lost the desire or excitement that they once had when they first came to, to following God. They first started that relationship with God. If you'll think back in your own life, when you became a Christian and you started following after God, that excitement, you wanted to know more, you wanted to be at church around other people, you were soaking it all in. And now compare that to our lives now. Is there a big difference? Have we lost that longing or that thirst for God or the things of God or following after him or being around his people? I think sadly for a lot of us, the answer would be yes. 
we've lost that thirst for God. You know, many people say that they, they want God, but they want him on their own terms. I, they're comfortable with how their spirituality is going right now. With their schedule that they have, the things that they do, they're comfortable, but there's no real desire to, to grow in their walk with God and their relationship with him. See, as for David, our relationship with God should be our top number one priority. He says there, early will I seek you. This is the first thing that he's running to in the morning. You know, and that doesn't say that, okay, you have to first thing run to God in the morning. I think it's a good practice and it's something that we should incorporate into our life. But rather he's, he's showing that the, the priority that David placed God in his life, the first thing that he ran to. Often the first thing that we run to is the most important thing. I think of something like coffee. I love coffee. I love drinking coffee. A lot of times that's what gets me up in the morning. And to be honest, that's where I run first. I make a pot of coffee before I sit down. But it's important to me. But just as something like silly like that is important to us, how important is God in our lives? Where does he fit in that level of priority with us? Do we run to him? Do we seek him early? Is he a priority in our life? So we see David has this strong desire for God. But it's not just a desire to be with God, but really to know God. One of my favorite statements is our view of God is the most important thing about us. Knowing God and who he is is so important for our lives. And David saw this. And we ask ourselves, where do we go in difficult times like we, we find David in in this psalm? What happens to our faith when everything else is stripped away? One of my favorite missionaries is the missionary John Payton. And if you read his biography, it's like every day these, the, the, the natives where he was, which is not too far from where we are here in Palau, where it seems like every day they were trying to kill him, his life was in danger. And, uh, and he says in his, his book, he says this, I shall never taste a deeper bliss till I gaze on the glorified face of Jesus himself. I had my nearest and most intimate glimpses of the presence of my Lord in those dread moments when musket, club, or spear was being leveled at my life. You see, it was in John Payton's most desperate moments that he felt the closest to God, that God was the most real to him, that he had that fellowship and relationship. And that's exactly where we find David in Psalm 63. See, David was away from the temple where he usually went to, to worship God and, and to know God and to learn more about God. He was away from that. And it's, I can't help but draw the parallel to the times that we're in right now. Being away from church, thankfully we can meet like this. And, and thankfully here in Palau, we don't have any, the virus right now, so we're able to gather together. But, but what happens when all the, the ceremony of church and things are, are stripped away? What, what happens in our own lives? And, and sadly, we've seen, I think, throughout this pandemic, a lot of people who were active in church when they could go there are now falling away from God. They, they have an absence of, the, of being there physically in church, and we see their longing for God start to, to drift. They're, they lose that thirst for Him. And it's my prayer that you, as a church valley, won't lose your thirst for God during this time that you're away. You know, many people come to church even on Sundays, but the rest of the six days of the week, what are they doing? How, what do their lives look like? Often it doesn't match 
the person they pretend to be on Sundays. But David, while he was away, while he was away from the temple, away from everything that he knew in this dark time, chose to focus his thoughts on God. And it's interesting how he does this. He, he thinks back on what he learned about God. It says he thinks about God in his sanctuary. You know, church is not only where we learn about God, but it's also a place that we worship God and behold him in his glory. The more we know about God, the more we can rest in him during difficult times. And we'll, we will all face difficult times. The more knowledge we have about something, usually the, the less fear we have about it. For example, uh, here in Palau, when we first moved here, I was doing some research and I found out that they have in the water, in the ocean all around us, these uh, sea snakes. And the sea snakes here, they're really easy to spot. They're black and white banded. But I was reading about them and it says that their venom is 10 times more potent than rattlesnake venom. And in reading this, it started to strike fear in, in my heart and thinking, going out into the ocean, I'm not going to swim around with these snakes. They could come out of every rock and every dark hole and bite me and that would be the end. And so you kind of have this fear. And as I would tell other people, even as they come to visit, suddenly they don't want to get in the water anymore. But the more I learned about these snakes and how they're very docile, they don't ever attack. In fact, in some of the islands, the, the kids will even play with them. So they rarely ever bite unless you step on them or provoke them. And they're not really dangerous. Even though they have the potential for danger, the more I, I knew about it, the more I began to, to feel safer or rest in the knowledge I had. And I think this is a parallel to our knowledge of God. The more we know about God, the more confident we can be in him. And so this is what David was doing. He was thinking back to all of his time in the sanctuary, in the temple of God, worshiping God, knowing him. And these are the thoughts that he was bringing to mind during this dark time in his life. David looked back on what he knew to be true about God. And that gave him hope during this time that he was away from the temple. Not only in this psalm do we see David's longing after God, but we see that, that that longing is met with satisfaction. David finds satisfaction in God. I love it in verse 3, if you'll look there with me. It says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Because your love is better than life. I love that phrase. That God's love, his steadfast love is better than than life itself. Now, notice that it doesn't say here that your love makes life better. And there's a big difference in that. And, and this is definitely not the prosperity gospel that we hear so much about. This isn't saying that if you follow after God, if, if you trust in him, if you have enough faith that God is going to give you everything you want, he's going to make your life better. You're, he's going to give you health and, and wealth and prosperity and, and power. This is not what this is saying, and we know that to be true. Even looking at David's life, he says, Your love is better than life. His mercy and his unfailing love is the most precious thing that there is, more precious than life itself. It's better than health or lots of money or success. We can seek all those things in this life, and we will never be satisfied. Guaranteed, you will never be satisfied 
if that's what you're chasing after. But his love is better than life itself. It's the only thing that can satisfy. He says in verse 5, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. So what does it mean to be satisfied? To be satisfied means to be content or contented. In, in Latin, the words actually mean enough make, to make enough. You know, this is what people are really seeking af after in this life. If we're honest, this is what we're seeking after. We're, we're seeking after enough. We want to finally get to a place where we're not continually looking for more and more. And it gives this picture of sitting down at a feast and, and eating all this food. And it's not just eating everything on the table and saying, oh, I think I'm pretty full. This is eating enough and there's still more left over. This is a picture of God's love, his steadfast love that he shows for us. There's a abundant, not that goes beyond satisfying us. There's even more. We can never figure out the reaches of God's love for us. His love satisfies. In John 6, 35, it says, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, it is because of Jesus that we can have true satisfaction in this life. Chasing after pleasures in this life will only satisfy us for a short time. And yes, they will satisfy us for a short time. Then they'll leave us feeling empty, dissatisfied, depressed. They're never going to give us the satisfaction that we're chasing after. Only in, in Christ, in Jesus, can we find that. Don't get wrapped up in this terrible cycle of chasing after things that will never provide that satisfaction that we truly desire and long after. Only Jesus can do that. Jesus offers us satisfaction that will last and a hope that is sure. We also see that our satisfaction, when we find that in, in Jesus, should lead us, as it did David, to praise. When we truly understand God's love and satisfaction, the only thing that we can do is to praise Him. But do we do that in our lives? When we look at all that God has done for us, the love that He shows us, how He has forgiven us of our sins and given us a hope of eternal life, does that lead you to praise as it should? It led David to praise as he was out there in, in the wilderness, in the desert, thinking on all these things he knew to be true about God. And even in this dark time for him, he still was singing to God, praising him through prayer and singing in his life. You know what? We have to learn to praise God in difficult times. You know, it's not just when, when things turn around. You know, that's often when we praise. We, something's wrong in our life, like David in the desert, and we fall on our knees. We ask God to deliver us from, from this circumstance that we're in and then when God brings us out of it then we shout praises to him we say thank you God look what you've done in my life you brought me out of this but David hasn't been hasn't been rescued yet yet still he praises God and are we doing that in our own lives you say well read how how can we praise God if we're still in a difficult time what is there to praise and we can see that through through David's own life here. You know, we can, in those difficult times, we can think back, as David did, 
to what we know is true about God, the promises that he gives to us. And as we think on those, we remember that, that God is always with us, that God is always in control, that God is always working things for our good. And this, these promises can cause us to rejoice, to give him thanks and praise that he deserves, even when things aren't going the way that we planned, even when circumstances are difficult, we can still praise God. You know, finding this satisfaction in God gives us security, rest, and even joy. When we turn our minds to him, as we see in verse 6, we can rest knowing he is watching over us. It says there that, that we rest in the shadow of his wings. Let's read quickly, starting in verse 6. It said, On my bed I remember you. I think of you throughout the watches of the night, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. So we see here a picture of God's protection or his refuge that he provides us, as in we see in David's life now, but he also provides for us. We see a picture of this, a shadow of his wings. And a lot of times here in Palau, you look around and you'll see wild chickens running around. And many times they have little chicks that are following along. And whenever there's danger, all of these chicks quickly run underneath their mother and she protects them, whether it's from some danger or from the rain, she protects them with her wings. And God gives this same picture of us. We're so helpless in these difficult circumstances, but when we look to him, he spreads his wings over us and gives us a refuge that we can rest in. Then in verse 8, it says that we, we cling to him as he lifts us up. We cling to him. And when I think of clinging, I often think of Landon, my son. Many of you have, have met him. Uh, but Landon is three now, and I, he loves to wrestle. But he doesn't often like when I pick him up and, and hold him upside down. He's getting a little bit better at it, but he gets very scared. And whenever I turn him upside down, he, he clings to me with all of his might, and I can see the fear in his eyes. And the fear isn't, you know, it's not for nothing because there was one time that I I was holding him over my shoulders and I he let go and I kind of I didn't drop him but he fell a little bit and that kind of blew some of the trust that he had in me um, but we've been working on building that back up again but still whenever he's he's fearful or he's worried about some danger he clings to me with all of his might and that's the picture that we see here of David clinging to God we know that God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. But oftentimes we live as though, okay, I can go on and do what I want, go my own way, and God's going to be back there following me and be there for when I need him. But this gives us a very different picture of what that means. Yes, God is never going to leave us or forsake us, but it's not him following us around. It's us clinging to him as well. And the interesting thing that we see here is that as we cling to him, we suddenly realize that it's not even our own strength that's holding us to him, that's keeping us close to him, but it's his hand lifting us up and holding us up with his mighty hand. You know, even in difficult times, we can rejoice. We can have joy in God because of these promises that he's given to us. And we see that with David. Even in this dark time of his life, his own son was trying to kill him. He rejoiced in God and, 
and shouted praises to him. Do we do that in our own lives? And as we wrap up this psalm, I want to just ask a, a few questions. I, I like to ask the question, so what? Because we can study God's word together and learn about David's circumstance and what David did, but I don't want us to leave this morning without asking ourselves, how does this apply to my own life? What does this mean for me as I, as I turn the TV off or sh shut the computer screen or close my phone and I am back to my normal life? What does Psalm 63 have to say to me has to do with my own life? So first of all, I want to ask, where do we turn during difficult times? We all have difficult times, whether it's the circumstances around us or consequences from our, our own sin or not following after God, but we all face difficult circumstances. Well, when we find ourselves there, where do we turn? What do we run to? What do we thirst after? Are you thirsting after God or has your desire for him faded over time? Only you can answer that. Ask questions and be honest with yourself. What is your desire for God right now? Are you thirsting after him with everything that you are? Do you make him a priority in your life? Then I want us to ask ourselves, do we really know God? This was David's greatest comfort while he was in this difficult time was his knowledge of God, things that he had learned about him. How can we rest in a God that we don't even know? Are you taking time to truly know God in your life? And then finally, are you satisfied in him? Is God enough? Or are we trying to run to all of these other things to find satisfaction and, and hope and escape from the troubles of life? There's so many things that this world offers to us that gives us the illusion of escape, but none of them will satisfy us. Only God can satisfy. Are you satisfied in him? Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this opportunity to look at your word and to see how it relates to our own lives. God, through the story of David and his heartfelt cry to you, we often see ourselves. God, I just pray that as we go throughout this week, as we face different circumstances and difficulties in our lives, that we would long after you, that we would thirst for you, that we would run to you. God, I pray that you would help us to understand that the only true satisfaction that we can find in life comes from you. Through your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins to give us a hope and eternal life. God, help us to rejoice in you and praise you for all that you do in our lives. God, help us to have joy even when things aren't going the way that we plan because we can rest in your promises as we know you more. And I pray that you would help us apply this to our life as we go to work and to school and as we're with our families. God, that you would make this true about us, that we would be a light shining for you, whether we're in Palau or in Denver or anywhere else. God, I thank you again for the opportunity to preach your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.